0: On this edition of Magic Pod Squad, we catch up with Becky Bonner, Orlando Magic's Director of Player Development in Basketball Operations, and she tells us about her unique journey to the NBA a career that started from a very athletic family, born with basketball, a brother that played in the NBA in Matt Bonner, and how she fell in love with the game of basketball growing up in New England, then working for the NBA League office, a job that took her to a number of different countries. She's got some terrific stories as she talks about traveling abroad as a member of uh, NBA Basketball Without Borders and what ultimately brought her here to City Beautiful and the challenge that lies ahead for her as she tries to become the first female general manager in nba history lots to listen to myself david Steele, jeff turner george galante catch up with becky bonner on this edition of magic pod squad this is aaron gordon of the orlando magic this is evan Fournier. this is jonathan isaac this is mo
1: bomber check out what's new with the orlando magic pod squad the host of characters give you a behind the scenes look at magic basketball the magic pod squad has you covered subscribe and rate on
0: itunes and the google play store today And we're pleased to be joined by Becky Bonner, Orlando Magic Director of Player Development and Basketball Operations. And and Becky, I think it's most important as a New Hampshire native and as a fellow New Englander, I think you need to explain to these gentlemen, we have George Galante, Jeff Turner and David Steele, why we think the Patriots will probably get Super Bowl (laughs) number seven, right? I think it's a foregone conclusion at this
1: point. I I, I think that's right. (laughs) I think we can we can call it here. I think so. I think
2: we can go ahead. Well, I think this will be you interesting. Can't, no, you both can't believe that now. There's not no the way, way. Not the not way totally they're playing way. right now. Not the way Baltimore's playing right now. Not the way... Baltimore scares
0: me. I think going to Baltimore could be a challenge, but I... Some
1: I, may say that we strategically lost mm. just to, um, you know... Have some coachable moments and some. That's right. And he'll do that. Belichick will do that. I'm not buying it this time. But wait, wait, wait. wait.
3: Becky, are you as passionate about the Patriots as Dante is? Because... I'm a, I
1: mean I'm a New Englander yes. and grew up that's what we watched in our house but I'm not oh. like a big <laughs> <laughs> like
2: the whole sorry. system just fell down by the way right, right, right. Right, if yeah. you're
3: watching but here if you're watching the Patriots game I mean are you like living and dying calling you know Patriot players names no. one minute what and was then... the
2: one guy Jerkovic what was, <laughs> yeah, his, the... name, Jerkovic? What was his name Jerkovic Rob Nikovic. No. He, he became Stankovic Stank- 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 he went from Stankovic
1: to oh he's the greatest ever well there's passion
0: in that
3: area,
1: though, you know, going up in that, there's passionate with that. New every England fan fans, bases, that's it's a big thing up there.
0: I don't know you if know. I could handle that as a player. <laughs> I can, but I love it as a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could take Stinkovich. it. itch. All right, Becky. We'll just touch on for for Magic fans and and for those listening director of, of player development and basketball operation. What is your current capacity for the Magic? And what what is your day to day? Give us some insight. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, since going into season three, it has evolved into sort of being the um, gatekeeper of communication for all departments. So, I interact with the coaches, the players, the performance staff, PR, the business side. That's the toughest side. One, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Not laughs> Not going to. Trish listens to this. so Be careful. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Trish. (laughs) Smart. Um, That's very smart. And our front office, our scouts. So all aspects of the organization, we sort of interact with in this role. So, it's chasing down information and making sure that people know what they need to know and that schedules are being followed and everything is sort of as organized as it can be. For um, to advocate for the players, but it's really a service-based role. You know, we're here to make sure our players have everything they need, whether it's um, anything for their performance, their on-court, off-court. You know, we're just basically here to serve, make sure they get everything they need, and it's very interesting because we have so many relationships that we need to develop and foster and nurture every single day. That, so there are so many uh, touch points that happen each day. So you can't really predict what is gonna be going on that each day.
2: And by we, by we like, you have a great team around you too. You have Definitely. Regan, We have uh,
1: Regan, Harris, Orlando Boyer, and Kevin Teller. But
2: I don't think people
0: realize the day to day. People see, okay, there's a game. So 82 times a year, that's when we
1: all have to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's
0: not the case. You have a lot of day-to-day.
1: Correct. So any time a player is in the gym or on the road, we're, I'm around. Uh, we're around. Um, I don't like to say I, but um, usually it's me that you'll that you guys see on the road. And um, so any touch point that you can have is kind of crucial to building the relationship and earning trust. And so that's really one of the most important things. So then you can earn a player's trust and maybe help them with something off the court, such as a career crossover program that our league offers or an internship like T-Ross is doing right now with our um, content group or real estate investments that DJ likes to do and sort of kind of help them realize that they're... 24 hours in a day, and we only have practice for maybe an hour and a half to two hours that they're at Amway, and you you can't just play video games the rest of the day. <laughs> so and there there's a to, life after there basketball has to be something to else, and there, and then there is life after basketball, and it happens. It comes at you fast. I mean, I've had a front row seat from the beginning of seeing an NBA player with my brother, and you know, I used. To, we were in the gym together all the time growing up. I saw how hard we both worked really, really hard playing. And um, you know, when it was time for him to retire, you know, that was a tough moment for him because he just—I ha- mean, he, hes really skilled at a lot of different things, and he participated in many of the programs that the league and P A N B P A offer. But um, you just—you you, you know—like mm-hmm. you just always want to keep playing as long as you can.
3: The, well, that I think that's the interesting thing is, that, you know, again, going back to when I played and everything, just, and we've talked a lot about this with other guests, is the, the support staff for the players, um, the player development piece of that and all the things you were talking about just wasn't around. So is that... Is that something that, that comes from the league? You come from the league office, that the league is really pushing? Or is it each team that really is uh, kind of jumps jumps onto this?
1: Honestly, if you polled all 30 presidents of a basketball operation or GMs, whoever the leadership highest ranking leader is for each team, and said, what does your player development staff do? You'll get, you could get 30 different answers. Okay? So it's really philosophy, culture, and up to however your leader defines the role. And so I'm very fortunate that this is a very important initiative with Jeff and John. And they want our players to wake up in the morning. and All they have to worry about is, how how am I going to do today? Am I getting better on the court? Can I, and I can play the game. I can go to practice and be the best I can be. And so we we help them with everything else and you know we're going into the holiday season and our players have you know they have agents and then the agents need a person to talk to locally and if they want to do something in the community with their shoe company or something like that and so we really help start that conversation and bring it over to maybe the community relations and social responsibility side or we'll just take it and run to make sure that we support the players initiative
0: now, I want to get into uh, how you got where you are and uh, obviously you're a pioneer in professional sports being a woman and having a, a, a top-notch position within an NBA franchise but you mentioned your brother. Uh, tell us first of all about your family and, and sure. how much influence your family played in in your life.
1: Well I always start by talking about my family by saying I'm the shortest and I'm 6'2". <laughs> right. um, my mom is 6'3", my dad was 6'8". He's since shrunk to 6'6". Six, six. Sorry, dad, but you have. Um, my, um, it happens. Yep. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff,
0: Jeff was 7'2". Yeah.
1: <laughs> my older brother is 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and my younger brother Luke is 7'1". So we are tall. And we grew up, like um, Dante mentioned, we grew up in, in Concord, New Hampshire, and played all sports ski my mom ran the ski program so we'd go skiing i did swimming i did field hockey i did everything and then when um matt would go to the boys and girls club or we would go to the boys and girls club after school and he made the travel team i noticed that he got all the trophy got a big trophy for winning games and i'm like Yeah, I don't really want my swimming ribbons anymore. Those aren't very cool. (laughs) I would prefer to have a trophy. And so I started playing basketball because I wanted a trophy. And then I just fell in love with the game. And we were gym rats. Um, Our boys and girls club would give us access to the court before school. And we would do dribbling drills and work on our shooting and all like the fundamental nerdy things that you can do when you're not super athletic like us. And... We, that's kind of before school and after school. And then we would do our team practice. We would just be in there working out together. And then when Luke, my younger brother, got older, he would come with us. And then we had um, Chris Brickley, kind of was in our households more or less, and he's a big trainer now. But um, we would all, it would always be uh, two, Matt would sort of set up two-on-one games against him or He'd bat, put Brickley and I against each other, or Luke and Brickley, and we just play one-on-one-on-one, two-on-one, and we loved the game. And so growing up, we never really went to an NBA game but because we, we were always doing stuff. And so I never really thought about the NBA as like a goal <laughs> for myself, but definitely going to college and maximizing my potential there was really important to me. So I went to Stanford and played there under Tara Vanderveer for two years and then I transferred to Boston U and finished school there. Um, And then after that, I played overseas in Sweden for one season. And then I came back and Florida had just won the men's national championship again and Maryland won the women's championship. And Billy Donovan invited my my brother and I to go to the Winged Foot Award in New York. Have you heard, they bring the national champions there and there I met um, Brenda Freeze because she was there for the women's and I got a job on her staff um, as the assistant director of ops and kind of just learned everything about I mean I used to set up the hoops while <laughs> Gary Williams was you know finishing up practice because he would always move the hoops and we would have a hoop war but um, <laughs> like just being around Maryland at a high level was really awesome and Then our associate head coach, Jeff Walls, got a head coaching job at Louisville after the one season I was there. So I went with him to Louisville and was there for five seasons, I think. Um, And then I decided I was sort of done with college, the NCAA. Um, If you follow my younger brother on Twitter, he usually voices his opinion um, and we share it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, so anyway, I, I, I met Kim Bahuni at the end, who works uh, in a senior position at the NBA league office in Basketball Ops International, and got a job right away. Under Stu, Stu Jackson, hired me the day I went there, and two weeks later, we were in a lockout. <laughs> <laughs> what so, a start! Yeah.
0: So you and you spent a lot of time overseas with your.
3: your so time I was in, in Basketball
1: Operations International, and um, that has a lot of things that come with it. So. I don't want to talk your ear off, but <laughs> basically, you work closely with FIBA and all the federations that we have. Right? You work. You work with our international players in our league, and um, you work with growing the game on a global scale from an, an like elite, not just fan develop, not f- fan engagement. So you're looking for players, and so I kind of fell into this what uh, unique position where I could be um, a master clinician. And so if FIBA needed somebody to go to Sri Lanka to um, engage with women, to basketball players or their national team, I would go with a WNBA player and we would you know, coach their national team before an Asia cup or something like that. And so my first, one of my first trips over, I was with Sam Perkins, Big Smooth. <laughs> we went to Kazakhstan. In Kyrgyzstan, and it was before. Those are countries, George. Oh, no. thanks. Wait, George. <laughs> I. know. I know he's not. I know he's.
0: Of. I know he's not heard of those. I'm not very so. right. I'm really well. We travel. were. I
1: mean, we were in on. No joke. We were on a mountain in Beshek, and it was just sand.
2: Where's Beshek, Dante? <laughs> Kyrgyzstan. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we were doing basketball there, and it, I mean, it was crazy, and so. We were misreported that we died in a plane crash. Really? Oh my. Are you kidding you me? Can Google it, and CNN has the bottom line ticker, and it says NBA legend Sam Perkins and travel companion Rebecca Bonner oh. die oh in a plane or in a plane crash. More, more to come or something like that. And I didn't. No, because we were on a flight from Astana to Frankfurt, which I think is eight hours. And so when we landed, Sam looked at his phone and had like 350 messages. And I'm like, I don't have international. I'm not going to check my phone. No no, one's looking for me. (laughs) And so,
0: Which is 350. If that were true, that's 350 people. What did they
2: think for a response they were going to get? And so he's like, Sam, you there? (laughs) (laughs) Sam,
1: (laughs) hey Sam, what did they expect to hear? He's like, well, let's go eat. Because he's, he's very relaxed, and he wasn't oh, yeah. like, oh, maybe I just missed these. And then he looks at it, and he calls his sister, and she was like, they're saying you died in a plane crash. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so it was just really terrible reporting. Um, but oh, Your parents must have been my crazy. My parents were very confused. Yeah. <laughs> everyone was. And um, so I think that's kind of a fun fact. But you know, didn't. Not everybody can say that they were misrepresented. No. <laughs> no, no it isn't what you, but being to able
0: meet. to see the world as an ambassador <laughs> yeah. and the people you met Sam Perkins people that we grew up watching and mm-hmm. all that stuff and you, you get to travel you get to make these relationships guys the superstars that play in the league yep. now how, how was that as, as far as a way to be an ambassador and to see this league
1: it has been, am- it was amazing to be honest with you I remember going to Manila with the Rockets um, we did Manila and Taipei and they were like hey Beck can you go grab Larry Bird, because of the Pacers were playing the Rockets, and Kevin McHale and bring him backstage? And I they mean, I'm up.
2: Yeah, okay, like, yeah. And I'm like, That's like asking yo, you to go get Tom Brady. Or Larry Bird. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> or Kevin, Kevin McHale. McHale. I'm
1: yeah. like, I, I grew, these are my heroes. Absolutely. I'm from New England, and I go right up to them and say, hey, you know, you guys, they want you guys backstage for this intro thing. And Kevin McHale looks at me and says, you know, I haven't talked to this son of a in like 10 years. (laughs) You just interrupted and I like, (laughs) I just died. I'm so sorry Mr. McHale, (laughs) I'm so sorry Mr. McHale. And then they started laughing. And then I was like, so could you please follow me? (laughs) But just moments like that and places, you know, and when people, when you travel international, you know, you really get to know people because people can be nervous about certain travel and they want to rely and you're just that, you know, source of comfort and you're also sharing your love for the sport and how the game has taken all of us, you know, all over the world. And it's really cool to see, you know, Mm -hmm. have those moments. We did like, also in Manila, we took Chandler Parsons and someone else and did like a a drop in at an outdoor court. And there were like three thousand people just hanging out playing basketball because they love the game over there. And then he did the drop in, and everyone just lost their minds. <laughs> Becky, and just
2: like she has the, she has amazing stories oh because I she's can. had all these experiences. Do you mind telling the story? I, I, you may not remember, but I remember it because it was one of the first first times of your first year. It was our first road trip, mm-hmm. and I threw out my back. Okay, like and you guys, you well, you that. weren't there because it was a preseason game. Right, right. And I was down and out like I couldn't move. Keon came to like literally have to lift me lift mm-hmm. me up and get me in the bed and whatever. And I get on the bus and Becky shares this story about you f- something happened to you with your shoulder. Oh jeez. So, this was a yes. this was a crazy story. Do, do you mind sharing No, not that not at all. You?
1: I mean I w- we were the NBA signed a deal with Exxon Mobil and an NGO and to do this program called Power Forward in Nigeria and the idea of the program was we go to abuja nigeria and we partner with 10, i think there were 10 or 15 public schools and we trained their pe teachers how to do basketball so they do the training and then we would don't like make a court and donate all the basketballs and supplies and then it was really special because hakeem olajuwon and swin cash were coming for the big Reveals when we did when we after we trained everybody, so I was in the advanced group to train everyone all the coaches With my colleague Chris Clooney, and so um, It it was hot we were working on just ch- we were checking out the courts to make sure they were coming along and it had been a long day and They said uh, and then we're foolish. Of course. We were like, well, let's go do a court workout so what we melted and they said we had 20 minutes to shower and get ready for dinner. So I go up to the hotel and I'm hustling to get ready and I went a little too fast and I fell in the shower and I hadn't actually showered yet um, and I hit my shoulder on the soap dish and I, my bone, po- I had a compound fracture. Oh, the bone popped out, oh. like popped out. And I also like hit my head so I was kind of out for a little bit and then when I came to, I was very shocked, and at the time I had a BlackBerry, so my black I had to find, like figure out how to get up and call for help, and I put the bolt thing on the door too, so then they couldn't get to me. Because oh, no. that's what happened uh, to me. I told you the story where right. I was it on and I was in.
2: crawling, and that's why she has a. Yeah. Well, keep going because oh. it's so good.
1: It, <laughs> I mean, we had to get me at the hotel. Everyone, I swear, everyone in Abuja knew me after that. Like. <laughs> They, they brought me to this hospital, but no one was there. There was It was very bizarre. And it was just very, I mean, we had to get cash so that they'd see me. There was no doctor looking at my x-rays. They wouldn't, the x-ray was like, I should have just taken out my camera phone and done it. <laughs> um, but we, we sent the, we. thank God Matt played for the Spurs at the time. The Spurs doctor was like, yeah, you need surgery immediately. We sent the picture to him, we couldn't, reach anyone Adam Silver had to get alerted because they were going to medevac me if it, they thought that I would need that and so they ultimately decided that I would fly commercially so with your bones sticking. so I have no pain meds
2: because oh
1: okay crazy I have right? a like a slim manifest like they just put like an ace bandage sling <laughs> And their ice and, and then they started the feeding me vodka
2: <laughs>
1: to fall asleep and then the next day the next evening because we're only night flights out I flew um, Abuja to Frankfurt Frankfurt to Newark yeah. my parents picked me up and I went right into surgery wow. and I'll never forget the way that my That's dad really looked at real. me when he saw me like his face because then I thought I must look really bad <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was wow. crazy, and I think I have a really um, high pain tolerance now.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Can we stop hearing about <laughs> your <laughs> bag now?
1: Yeah, I know, right? That's, that's what cool. I got up me. there.
2: I'm getting on the bus. I'm like, I'm like, man, I had a, room. I can't. Like he's like, oh, that's cool. Not to one up, not me, to one up yeah. you. But let me I tell you a story where Adam Silver floor, got me a plane because the bone <laughs> was hanging out of my
1: shoulder.
2: Oh no, my bad. I'll, I'll like, just like, hang, about real I'll hang out in the training room now. Imagine I'm
1: like. Year two and on the job, I've never had many like I hadn't had many interactions with Adam, right? And now, I'm the girl that, or the who, broke her arm, her shoulder in yeah. Abuja, you know, and everyone knew knew my story at the league office. Is so that so how he still? No, you sure? <laughs> sometimes we've come a long way yeah. since that, but man, so how did that you, was
0: the icebreaker? Yeah. How did you come to the Orlando Magic, Jeff and John? Pursued you from the NBA.
1: Um, yes, I would say Masai Ujiri had a huge role in that because we were close through our basketball that borders Africa and all of that, and um, he sort of recommended me to Jeff.
2: Now, were you looking to were you looking to make the move from the league? Because it's because on the outside, all these stories just traveling the world and and. Meeting legends like i I don't know, I think I kind of want to see if there's a job open there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah um i I mean, after the Rio Olympics finished on august twenty second in twenty sixteen we had been I had reported to the Olympic team um in July fourteenth so that was kind of you know it's a lot mm-hmm. we had five um five games in the u s and then we had the Olympics, and we were on a ship in close quarters in Rio, and it was a lot of stuff. Um, I was really exhausted. It's it's so intense, the short amount of time you need to get a team together to win a gold medal and with zero room for error. And to go through that, it's emotionally, intellectually, and physically exhausting, I think. Everyone would, that's participated in the past would probably agree, and most people take a vacation after. And I went onward to Johannesburg, South Africa, then Luanda, Angola, and um, for cool things, to your point, you know, I had to take some coaches on a safari in Johannesburg and then fly yeah, with them to hot. Luanda to um, do a basketball Without borders camp, which was amazing to do it in, in that country, and we had incredible hosts. And then right after that, we had basketball Without borders in Finland, and then I came back and I had to, I, I, and I was lucky enough. To go with OKC over to Europe. And by the time I got home, we're looking at mid-October, and I just honestly, I think it was just exhaustion from the schedule and I, all of the travel, you know, I lived in New York City and had my apartment and I never really spent time in it mm. uh, type of thing. And so I started going to the New York Nick and Brooklyn Net Games pregame early and talking to kobe altman a lot and some of the scouts that would be there and you know kind of saying well what do you do and you know kind of learning how to do that sort of evaluate players again and look at it that way from their lens and i liked it and i thought man i could probably you know i really loved being around my team the team team usa right i mean who it's the one percent in our league—it's amazing to be around them. They're all amazing people, and the coaching staff and um, support staff—it's—it it, it was the best time. But um, so I thought, well, working for a team will probably feel like that. So you know, maybe I should think about it. But I'm not going to force it. And then it happened, just like that. So um, I got really lucky with timing and everything.
3: So did you come into that now? Once you got the call, I mean, had you thought about? Like, it, it, it's pretty, I think, well-documented. Your your goal, you'd like to be an NBA GM at some point.
1: I would like to be a GM at so some point. So is that point. something and that, you know... I feel like, you know, there's so many layers to everything involved with an organization and a team that just to keep getting experience, you just need... You're, you're not just going to be able, I mean, I guess people have done it, but from where I see it, I feel like you need to live it and experience it for a lot of time to get the knowledge to understand what all, what all this team thing is and how you drive a winning culture and have winning players on your team and a winning coat and winning habits and all the key influencers around the players are the right people and all of that. So I think that there's so much to learn and Jeff and John are, Have, I would say, opened the door to just let me learn from them. I ask a lot of questions. I ask Matt Lloyd a ton of questions. Sorry, Matt Lloyd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I ask Prosper a lot. I ask a lot of questions. And, you know, there's a lot to learn still, is what I would say. But at the same time, this experience is preparing for whatever the um next vertical movement would be right and I think that all a lot of my colleagues that have been doing this for much longer than I have all around the league you know I think it's a good quality and I think it, maybe it comes from being an athlete myself mm-hmm. to always want to you know keep growing and developing and so that you know I think I George would yeah I mean even you guys I think season one Becky is a lot different than season three Becky and so I've come and grown in a lot of different ways already and I have a long way to go
0: well Becky I think the last thing we'd want to know all of us have daughters and we've seen professional sports change and it's not perfect and it's not but it but the professional sports have made strides and the NBA I think does a better job than anybody you're living it I I mean Mm -hmm. just just touch on being a pioneer as as David, and being a woman and, and, and in a in what has traditionally a sport. been a man's game. You know,
1: I feel really lucky. Right? You know, Adam Silver is a champion for women. Mm-hmm. You know, we, he's very vocal publicly about it. Um, working in our league, we have a lot of great women leaders at the league office mm-hmm. that maybe the general population doesn't know. Right. Um, and then on te- the team side, the Orlando Magic have been amazing. And Jeff and John, and emp- like I said, they, and Cl- Coach Clifford, empower me to operate and feel like I fit in and I belong. And so that has been um, something that I've really appreciated. And, you know, the day-to-day, I so- this is going to sound very silly, but maybe the women, if listeners would, could understand, um, like I didn't know what I was supposed to wear, to you know, because if you, it doesn't say, it says like a suit jacket and, <laughs> and dress pants. I'm like, well, I'm not wearing a suit. You know, I, I didn't really know how to dress, like what the attire was supposed to be or when you go scouting or, you know, there wasn't really a look for a, sure. in the, uh, that you- A could. little thing, but it, yeah, it, it's it, a big it kind book. of more like, how do I dress on the plane? And I had to be myself, right? right. So I, I book. just kind of did it the way I yeah. would, did it before. But, um, and there wasn't anyone to like, you know, look at and say, oh, I'll just wear what Mm -hmm. she wore. You know what I mean? And so you just kinda, like little things like, when we go to the arena, if I don't have my credential, there's no way I'm getting back to the locker room or to drop my bag because I'm gonna get stopped. Because it's just the people in the arena aren't, it's just not the norm to see a woman coming back that way. And I'm not wearing team issued gear. And some of my male colleagues can just kind of get right back there, little things like that, but it's amazing to see when we go when I go to league office conferences or uh, league wide conferences how many women there are around the league, and this sport and this subculture is such that when you're with your team, it just you get kind of like sucked in and you forget about everybody else in what they're doing and so I would just say there's a lot of women out there Mm -hmm. working really hard for teams and at the league office and doing great work and sometimes you just because you don't always see each other you don't know that they're there you know and so I think the more that people can know that there are women here then it won't be such a big deal to be like oh you're a woman working here, you know, there's a lot of women around the yeah. league and they're just getting more
0: attention than normal. You'd love the point to, for it not to be a conversation point, really, yeah. anymore, it'd just be the norm. Well, I know the DeVos family is proud and, and honored of the work that you do and Alex and you mentioned Jeff and John and everybody mm-hmm. and everything that you bring to the table. So we appreciate the well, time and best of luck rest of the way, all right? Thank Thanks you. Back.